Fiction. Radio Play, an oft-ridiculed frontier. It all started when a remote programming experiment some community radio station on the central coast of California was conducting went a little caca. Their names are Gall, Moses, and Ted. They're lost, aren't we all? One of them owns an astronaut costume, shot through a wormhole for the sake of narrative explanation. Anyway, here they are, bouncing around speculative fiction thematic time and space, rather timidly going where many a man has gone before. These are the voyages of the Incompanots. Interior. Putrid Cave. Bug Planet. Day. Bug Ball, Bug Moses, and Bug Ted stand protectively around a glowing, wriggling, slimy sack of eggs. Daylight, peeking in through the holes of the rock wall, glimmers on their tough exoskeleton exterior. Gaul shuffles restlessly, scratching her thorax with the three of her six legs. Ah, can you stop doing that? It really... irritates me. Ah, I can't. I'm due for another molt any day now. You know what that's like. Ted's glistening compound eyes swivel around his head, his antenna paw at the air around him. Is it just me, or does it suddenly smell... like, uh... ape? The deafening rumble, the roof of the cave collapses above them as Gaul Moses and Ted hastily scurry to avoid the crash. Silhouetted by the light of three blinding suns stands a massive armored spectacle. Shining black metal, two blazer rifles primed and ready, faceplate obscured by his hot breath, emblazoned on his chest, the insignia of the United Federation of Humanity. Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Brian. Hoorah! Kill, kill, kill! The babies! The eight men killed the babies! Uh, 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 maybe if we just play dead, they'll leave us alone? We can't let them get to the queen. Die, imperialist scum! Mandible snapping, Ted lunges at the armored man, only to be gunned down by blazer fire. Good initiative, bad judgment, but you think I was gonna let you get away with my suit after what you did to my brother? Ted, what did you do to his brother? I don't know, I never met the man. Well, apologize, and maybe he'll go away. His presence here really makes me agitated and restless. Brian winces and places his massive armored hands to his head. Quit your screeching, Bug Talk! It's making my head hurt! This is our planet now! Welcome to your extermination. Fire erupts from his arms as Brian sprays the cave down with his blazer rifles. Three torch bugs lie on their backs in the corner. Satisfied, Brian exits the cave. I hope you learned your lesson. Minutes later. Is he gone? I can't believe that worked. It always does.
Space Corporal. Yeah, that's right. It's Gunnery Captain Gall here. I I don't know anything about rank 10. Yeah, I think the audience is now more highly ranked than we are. (laughs) (laughs) Or you are, at least. You haven't given our ranks. I'm just a (laughs) private here that's trying to go out and murder bugs, sir. I don't care about rank. I guess I'm Science Officer Moses. <laughs> Lieutenant uh, Ted. And Scarlet, who are you? I want to be like a bishop. I want to be like your secret android. <laughs> now, if people don't know we're talking about the movie Aliens, then you want to be a bishop. You're stronger um, than a person and you can move diagonally. Um. Anyway, oh. welcome to Last Refuge of the Incompetent. This should have been the first thing I said. This is a sci-fi show and this week we're talking about, you guessed it, Space Marines. With very special guest, returning guest, Scarlet Meyer. Two-time back-to-back guest. That's right. This is the aggression in space episode. <laughs> Bunch of jerks in space. Uh, what do I mean when I say jerks? People with guns is all I mean. <laughs> Army jerks. Army <laughs> jerks in space. Marines. Is having Good. jerk be your official name really that much more demeaning than being called a grunt? Yeah. It's the same <laughs> level. In my research for the script today, I, re- I looked up marine slang. They do not have very politically correct slang. Shocking. (laughs) I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to the Secretary of Defense about this. I was going to say, is that where you picked up Hoorah? Oh, I mean... The one everyone knows. It's the one everyone knows. But I did pick up... I think there was like... Oh, thanks, Scarlett. Oh, oh, no, we're the idiots. Got it. How about them zombies? Zombies. Um, one, I'm not playing it because it's played everywhere. And two, I'm not playing it because it's an anti-IRA song. So, Oh, yeah, that's true. This show is officially uh, in favor of Irish reunification, yeah. as we've discussed so many times before. It's just barely speculative fiction. <laughs> well, so I was researching music and it was... It was Wait, a, we got to uh, tell the listener... What kind of movies to expect aside from Alien? I don't know. We can, can we list them off? Yeah, sure. Do it. Sure, great. What kind of space marine movies did we watch this time? Aliens. That's the sequel to Alien. Starship Troopers, of course. Is it satire? Yes. Come on, everyone. It's satire. <laughs> uh, the answer is yes. Yeah. We read the 1984 novel Armor, which fits in perfectly with these movies. Oh, and that uh, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, aka Live, Die, Repeat with Tom Cruise. There's some, you know, space armor in that. that, was, that was, I enjoyed that. I had not seen that one before. Yeah, it's one of those movies where you're like, oh, this this movie is going to be dumb. Oh, wait. Oh, this is a really good movie. Why did they have such terrible advertising for it? I guess we'll get all our military opinions out this episode. <laughs> but first, music. God, what music do we have? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I was saying, I had not a very fun time, and then I had a fun time researching because I stumbled upon a song that is so good. So, first of all, I was looking, I was like, I don't know, song about PTSD. That was not very Oh fun. yeah, that's the other big theme in a lot of these movies. <laughs> and then I was thinking like songs about like guerrilla warfare or you know, a guerrilla or what else. <laughs> and I thought of the MIA album Arular. She's got it, but I don't know. It might have too many curse words. And then I was like, maybe Bugs? And then Blondie has a really good song called The Attack of the Giant Ants. That's literally like the ants come from space and they snuff out the human race and it's about a bug war. Jerry Goldsmith is is pretty famous for his alien soundtrack. And then I was like, I don't know, are there any non-jingoistic songs about battles? And there's some good ones. Johnny Horton one, Battle of New Orleans, and then I guess the Decemberist Yankee Bayonet. And then I found this amazing disco song by Sarah Brightman and Hot Gossip called I Lost My Heart to a Starship Trooper. And it is so good. It's and a perfect the, song. 
the vi- the video for it is so beautiful. It's my favorite song now. <laughs> what are you thinking, Ted? Uh, I have a list, but I haven't. <laughs> I have a long list, but I don't have a short list, so I can talk about it. All right, he's making a list, checking it more than once. <laughs> <laughs> deepest pool of deepest blue shall swim to you. Morning never waits for you, shall wait for you. You're listening to the podcast edit of Last Refuge of the Incompetent. What does that mean? Well, that means that all that lovely music that we curate for the radio that fits the theme perfectly and is eclectic and interesting and wonderful to listen to has to be edited out and if you don't care then keep listening but if you do care check us out on mixcloud the full unedited show can be found there don't know how to find that just go to lastrefugepod.com lastrefugepod.com all the information you need can be found accessed okay Just a little bit of history. The earliest known use of the term Space Marine was by a man named Bob Olson in a short story called Captain Brink of the Space Marines in Amazing Stories from a November 1932 issue. I guess it's like a lighthearted play on a song titled Captain Jinx of the Horse Marines. There's like a protagonist or Marines of the Earth Republic Space Navy on a mission to rescue celebrity twins from aliens on Titan. Celebrity twins? <laughs> That's the motorcycle not... guys? <laughs> Celebrity twins, Earth's most precious resource. <laughs> and then there's Robert A. Heinlein, who I think we'll talk about later about how much of a great man he was. <laughs> <laughs> but he kind of wrote the, you know, he wrote Starship Troopers, which was a very influential book on a lot of people. It came out in 1959. It's considered like a defining work for the concept. Even... I guess James Cameron made the actors who played the Marines and Aliens, he made them read Starship Troopers as part of their training prior to filming. And that comes through. Absolutely. I guess I also found this list on Wikipedia of like every space slash space war books ever. Books, movies, TV, and games. So I, I'll link to it if that's your jam for some reason. <laughs> Let's start with Robert Heinlein and how much of a great Life. man he was. Now, Carl, the listeners can't the listeners can't see your face when you say that. Well, they should know that I'm saying it unironically. <laughs> they can't see your face when you say that either. <laughs> anyway, he wrote it in 1959. He wrote it because the he was angry at U.S. President Dwight Eisenhower for deciding to suspend nuclear tests. He was like, "Nah, uh we need a we knew." <laughs> Sassy Bobby. <laughs> yeah. I'm so angry, I'm going to write a book about it. <laughs> yeah, and I guess Highland wrote all of his books in like three weeks. Like everything he's written, he wrote really quickly. That's so in a fit of rage. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in a, fit, in a fit of rage. 
<laughs> he did say that, like in in right in he wrote in 1980 in an, like a, in a some volume that he wrote. He he wrote that he he saw a newspaper advertisement placed by the National Committee for a Sane Nuclear Policy came out on April 5th, 1958, calling for a unilateral suspension of nuclear weapons testing by the United States. And that made him want to write Starship Troopers. And he and his wife created something called the Patrick Henry League in an attempt to create support for the U.S. nuclear testing program. He sounds like a great man. (laughs) (laughs) I've never read any Heinlein. Yeah, I didn't read the Starship Troopers book because I knew that it explicitly, in his own words, glorifies the military. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, I don't need to read a whole book that does that. I'd rather watch the satire that does it ironically. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to to why in the world did Paul Verhoeven even make this film? Is that how you say his name? I mean, it's Dutch, so you say it in a much more goofy way than that, <laughs> but it's close enough. So I forgot how good Starship Troopers the film is. It's so good. It's a beautiful movie. Came out in 1997. If you haven't seen it, because for some reason you were told that it's a bad movie, you, those, those people were wrong. Do people say that? Do you have their addresses? So I, can <laughs> their <laughs> I think people... Little... What's that other one that he made that like is... Robocop? Total Recall. Um, uh, Showgirls. No, Showgirls, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like that's another masterpiece that I think... <laughs> He's just like, um, not punk- punking. He's just like, you know, he knows what he's doing. He knows what yeah. he's making. Do you think they exist in the same universe? Showgirls. Showgirls, Showgirls. and the <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Starship Troopers is in the future. They're both set in super America, so. Mm-hmm. Johnny Rico. <laughs> Yeah, the set in an America, a fascist America that has conquered and colonized the entire world. Like it yeah. opens, and it looks like you're in the usual cheesy high school G. Willikers all American guy with a rock solid jaw played football, and it, they're in Buenos Aires in Argentina. But it just looks like every other city in America. One of the other students makes a comment about like, oh, maybe I'll just go play for Tokyo also, which just and the whole. Yeah. So the whole society is a fascist society where you have to enroll in the military in order to become a citizen to vote. Otherwise, you're just a filthy non-citizen. Everyone's super upbeat and psyched about their fascist society. It's great. They're all under this giant American slash Nazi eagle. I mean, the eagle is in this flag of this America is is the Nazi eagle. Not the uh, not the old, like, German-Roman eagles. It's the Nazi eagle. <laughs> no. It's just sli- with slightly fewer lines. At one point when... What's his name? Michael Patrick Ian... Ian Michael Harris Patrick... <laughs> Neil Patrick Doogie? Harris. Doogie Neil? Hauser. Doogie Hauser. <laughs> He's fresh out of Doogie in this movie. Yeah. He's trying to so, break free. <laughs> anyway, so Neil Patrick Harris, when he arrives in that, like, coat and the beret sort of thing, is, mm-hmm. like, just, like... The Gestapo and, duster. <laughs> yeah, the Gestapo duster, exactly. Yeah, so Paul Verhoeven knew what he was doing. Like, he did these things on purpose to show that, I don't know, it's just a funny, let's all go die movie. And it's, but it's all, everyone's so happy about it. interesting too because i actually i knew that it was based on a book but i didn't realize until recently that it was like actually a fascist book i knew it was a parody of fascism but i didn't make the connection that it was like parodying its original source material the first half of the film is definitely still quite funny by the second half it almost just gets kind of 
It wears you down, just the... They just keep going oh, wave after wave violence. to get slaughtered over and over again. Yeah, like, um, it's really... People get torn in half, there's just body parts everywhere. Oh, Michael Ironside is so good in it. There's a good quote, I guess he was, like, interviewed on the Adam Carolla show in 2014, where he, like, asked Verhoeven, who grew up in German-occupied Netherlands, Netherlands, why he was doing a right-wing fascist movie, and Verhoeven told him, if I tell the world that a right-wing fascist way of doing things doesn't work, no one will listen to me, so I'm going to make a perfect fascist world everyone is beautiful everything is shiny everything has big guns and fancy ships but it's only for killing bugs the size of the guns and the way they use them is just so absurd it looks both yeah it looks completely inefficient dangerous and just clownish almost but it's also hyper violent one thing i'd never noticed before that's in hindsight obvious is that the the explanation they give in the universe of the film for why they have to attack the bugs is that they're like flinging asteroids at them from across the galaxy which is so obviously completely impossible (laughs) (laughs) so the movie like puts it right in front of you that like the justifications this fascist world state has for this war like must be completely false but it doesn't tell mm. you that in any point in the plot like on out front it just kind of right it is, puts it there for you subtle. to see if you can notice it yeah yeah at some point like there's an interview a reporter on the bug planet and he's like so are you going to tell us about how the the rumor is that all this attacks from the bugs started because we started colonizing their space and that's it it was like a very <laughs> subtle thing and that's all you hear yeah and then johnny and rico's like, like shut up <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I, I think it's definitely intentional like you're you're supposed to be in like the film encourages you to be in the same kind of oblivious enthusiastic mindset as the characters it encourages you to dance along to jake Busey's uh wonderful fiddle oh yeah his, loose, his green lucite violin <laughs> the the one moment where he busts that green lucite violin and then he like lur- lurks into the middle of the frame when uh johnny rico and between the couple denise are dancing, dancing. <laughs> that's one of the greatest frames in cinema history <laughs> The other quote from Verhoeven about this movie is that one of the things he was trying to get across is that war makes fascists out of everyone. And if you hear that as a pro-war, pro-fascism statement instead of an anti-war statement, then maybe that's why you don't like this movie. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it like I think the film is kind of encouraging you to be in the same basically fascist mindset as the characters. So in one way... You can see how, like, some viewers might have thought, like, that's what this movie's trying to do to us, the audience, trying to make us think and feel in this fascist way. But you have to overlook how facially absurd everything is. (laughs) Uh, He was also the first director to accept his Golden Raspberry Award in person, which is... (laughs) Oh, it really? just goes to show you that what he nice knows guy. what he's doing. He's right. fully aware of it. That was for Showgirls, right? Or was that for this? Yeah, that was. Yeah. I think that was for Showgirls. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and also during the the big shower scene at the boot camp where everyone's nude, the actors. This is the anecdote that I choose to believe. The actors <laughs> said, "Like, ah, come on, did we all have to be nude for this crowded shower scene?" And He's like, yeah, it's part of the whole camaraderie thing. And then he said, well, we're not going to do it unless you're nude while you're directing it. And so he's like, okay. And so he, <laughs> well, he is directing the scene nude, Paul Verhoeven is, while everyone else is I think it's, showering on camera. I think it's him and, and the, like, cinematographer are both nude. They're both like, yeah, okay, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Dutch. yeah, there is something very Dutch about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I saw this. I I'll I'll choose to believe it that they're in. They wanted. There's plans to like remake the film, and Verhoeven was like, uh, "Guys, like I don't know because." Apparently, the remake draws heavily from the original fascist and <laughs> militaristic <laughs> novel. It's like, no thanks. Why would, no, there's, what? There's enough movies with, uh, what's his face? John Krasinski that, that are pro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, his whole CIA series. Yeah. Release the I'm an Sni- analyst! <laughs> I'm an analyst! <laughs> Sorry. Release the Snyder Cut of Starship Troopers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I wanted to bring up, so... It, Paul Verhoeven talked about that shower scene and how it was so hard to get the nudity across the, the censors when the rest of the movie is full of people just getting disemboweled, like just over-the-top yeah. kind of stuff. Oh, but and it's so, sci-fi violence, so it can be PG-13. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So to his Dutch sensibilities, he's like, why is the, the nudity so much harder to get across than the violence? You know, that comes yeah. up now and then. But I, I don't know. What do you think? I've thought about it. And, you know, when you're watching a movie and you see someone get torn in half by a big ant's sci-fi violence, you know it's fake. Like, there's a level of removal from movie violence. Even if it's gritty and realistic and not over the top, you still know it's not real violence. But yeah. if you see someone taking a shower, you really are seeing them taking a shower. Ho-ho. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, no, that... you're seeing their character Which take a shower. <laughs> Oh, that's true. Which one is more dangerous? <laughs> right. I mean, of course, I don't think either is dangerous, but it, I'm trying to figure out why is the emotional response so different? Puritanism. Well, yeah, yeah, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> because then I kept thinking about that and thought, well, if it were truly about like removal from the reality of the situation, then the story would be different for animated violence and animated nudity. Those would be on the same level of not actually seeing a person do that. Right. But no, animated nudity is way more censored than animated violence, so that theory doesn't hold. Anyway, food for thought, everyone. Actually, this, I don't know, because I did rewatch this recently, but I do love this movie. It's men and women showering together, which I, right, yeah. like, which I think is like a hallmark of space marine movies, weirdly, which yeah. I think is like kind of interesting. They're sort of like trying to like establish the equality of like they're all comrades. Everybody, regardless of gender, will be torn apart by space bugs. Yeah, that exactly. is That is a, As a that, team. That, that is in the Heinlein book. The, the the equality sort of thing is in the Heinlein book. And I think that because he was such an influence on a lot of space marine stuff, it percolates, trickles down. Ted, did I interrupt uh, your thoughts on animated nudity? Uh, <laughs> I was just going to ask, like, can we really be sure if the people in the shower scene aren't, like, doing it ironically? Yeah, <laughs> we, can't, we can't be sure. And is it, are we truly seeing them shower then? <laughs> There's a book that we read because we did not read Starship Troopers because we didn't need to read it. But there's a book that I, I like for some reason was really into as a teenager called Armor by John Stakely. He only wrote two books, one called Vampires, and I think the S is a dollar sign, and it was turned into a film. John Carpenter turned it into a film with Billy Bob Thornton? No, somebody. A moment of Wikipedia silence. <laughs> oh, oh, our favorite actor, James Wood. James Woods. <laughs> anyway. And one of the lesser Baldwins. Ooh, which one? Daniel. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> I wonder if he's even related. Oh, no, you can tell. He's definitely a Baldwin. <laughs> Well, anyway, Armor was never made into a movie, but it takes a lot of influence from Starship Troopers and the whole, like, you're fighting bugs and they've got these, like, massive exoskeleton suits that they're wearing. But the focus is more on the 
psychological effect of violence on human beings. That's my, probably why it made me cry. It's very yeah, it I, makes I it, really yeah. enjoyed it. And yeah, it's a book about PTSD. It's definitely a much more unusual book than I was expecting, like the structure of it, especially. And the fact that you kind of have this, like the, the middle middle part of the plot, you kind of get this weird like space opera hero who like crashes into this other narrative. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I realized upon? I, this is probably the third or fourth time I've read it. Yeah, I like the book. I <laughs> But one of the things I noticed, so when they're fighting bugs on the bug planet... Uh, mazes are a big deal the discombobulation and the like the way that it just like messes with their psyche fighting in these mazes then in the planet that they're on that's not the war the colony the colony there's like fighting that happens and it's like a maze like it's like a favela Mm, basically and i was the first time realizing like oh that's intentional (laughs) you know like (laughs) they're you know the war is being fought on the planet where there's a bunch of mazes and then this like internalized conflict shanty town that's also yeah yeah that's a bunch of mazes it was all started by like people who were in the ant wars and their minds are completely like yeah exactly so it's just it's kind of like about how just damaging war is to to society essentially and how it like carries on this stain like you can't it's so hard to escape it on the one hand it is definitely about from the start it's about like grunts being sent to slaughter falling apart as people but on the other hand it ends up being by the end it's centered around these huge personalities and a guy who was turns out he was a chosen one pretty much yeah yeah in content it's about (laughs) the costs of war on ordinary people but then structurally it ends up being like at the end you're like yeah our hero's back and he's gonna like (laughs) nothing can stop him so he's gonna make the bad person go away it does feel like two different books for sure or two different reasons for writing these books. Like he had these two ideas and he wanted to put two together. Or he had an idea for a book about the psychological effects of war, and but he couldn't figure out a way to tell it that would be like exciting. So he had to like create space samurais. <laughs> <laughs> Thought I read something about him being inspired to write this book because he read Starship Troopers and didn't like that there wasn't enough like actual like military stuff in it so we wanted to write something with more like like strategy and tactics but i mean it's just like a planet full of hundreds of thousands of giant ants that won't stop coming ever so i didn't really get a lot of a grand strategy out of that (laughs) and also like an explicitly incompetent ruling military society so all the rich people get to be the highest ranks, but they never see combat, and they just send all the poor people to die. And also, the like the whole idea of of being so certain that you know how to fight this war, and then being constantly thwarted had very like real world applications. I feel like mm-hmm. yeah, both armor and starship troopers. At least the film have these very like high technology, very confident militaries that then just get cut apart. I guess he wrote he, at the time of his death, he was working on a sequel to it, and some fan site got author's permission to put up like an excerpt from his sequel. So I guess I'll I'll put that up on our website. I haven't read it, but it's definitely you finish the book and you're like, oh, there's a sequel here. <laughs> So I watched Alien slash Aliens for the first time. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I think I've gotten old enough now that I'm not scared 
of movies the way I used to be. (laughs) (laughs) And I can watch them with, like, space between. It's the perfect order, though, because it's like, if you're seeing Alien for the first time and you're freaked out about it, and then the sequel is like, and then there's a ton of them, you're like, oh my god! (laughs) Yeah. It's like a perfect hiding. I did watch Alien because I was like, well, I'm not gonna, I mean... I know it's not necessary for it to watch aliens, but it definitely adds context. And it's a great contrast because they're very different movies. Very different Oh my god, so different. They're such different movies. Last week we were talking about this whole, was it last week or two weeks ago? No, it was last week when we were talking about Outland. This whole like working class dudes working in space. Space mine. And now it's space truckers. In Alien, yeah, the first one. In Alien, yeah. Well, there was they're like a- engineers. It's like there's this whole, and I guess that's like a because we also watched Screamers, which is also written by Dan O'Bannon. So I think Dan O'Bannon wrote Alien, mm-hmm. right? And then he wrote Screamers, and so he just likes his um working guys becoming heroes type stories. Like not they don't really want to be heroes. They're just like being forced to become heroes. And um you know it's a Ridley Scott movie, so it's very like. <laughs> <laughs> His, uh, his signature. <laughs> I know. He's got his calling card right there. <laughs> Followed by 1986's James Cameron calling card, which is like, ooh, ah! <laughs> ooh, ah! Very different movie. Oh. Yes. Yeah, aliens is when they act- they send in the grunts against the aliens, and guess who wins most of the time? Bill, <laughs> Bill Paxton plays a great just guy losing his mind the whole time, and he survives for a really long time. It's great. Thinking about Bill Paxton and just being like, game over, man, game over. <laughs> It's a, cla- a, a perfect line, line reading. Uh, speaking of Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter, he also co-wrote, uh, I think it's Carpenter's first feature-length film, Dark Star, which is another yeah. kind of working schmoes in space movie with some... I love weird... John Carpenter, but Dark Star is so hard to watch. Even though it's supposed to be a comedy, I just couldn't. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty low budget. I liked it, though. We, we could yeah. talk about it on another episode, a schmo episode. To a deep dive on the alien movies which yeah it's it's it. it's rich text <laughs> <laughs> oh i will say this so the f- original the alien the first one was they they kind of didn't really care about the people like it wasn't a character driven script they were just like really interested in the whole plot so they wrote the people on the they wrote the script like gender neutral basically they were like right when when it came to casting dan o'bain was like anyone choose anyone anyone, (laughs) yeah it could be cast and and then really scott really wanted to get like really good actors so he didn't have to like worry about any characterization (laughs) it was just like (laughs) i need harry dean stanton and the film doesn't work (laughs) yeah (laughs) right well and, I mean, honestly, they're really good actors. Um, and oh, with and the guy from uh, Running Man, not Running Man, yeah, Running Man is in Alien also. Oh, Kato, Yafet Kato. Anyway, so then you you kind of get that feeling because when you're watching Alien, there's no, it's really good, but the characters are obviously not like informed by their gender in any way and then like aliens is basically like about motherhood basically oh, yeah. like, in some oh, sense <laughs> and like sigourney weaver is now this like mother character which she wasn't in the first movie at all she was a cat mom i guess well, I mean, she yes she was but everybody was mentioned a mom. in alien you know which i think is interesting is like she had a human kid on earth during alien but it's never brought up well i don't think it was a plot point in the <laughs> you don't know what you got till it's done, so. <laughs> also i guess 
guess the other woman this is this is only comes out in aliens that this is a character attribute but the other woman that plays that she's supposed to play like the kind of like the audience's reaction to the alien she's like right. constantly freaking really out. scared freaking out I guess in Aliens, when they're going through their bios of the people that were on the ship, it says that she was, she's male to female, that she's like a transgender character. Well, yeah, really? I didn't notice that. Well, detail. yeah, it's a it, weird plot choice, I guess. I don't know. Letting very well, close readers know this is the future. I have yeah. an insight about that from my job, actually. A lot of times oh, really? movies and TV shows, like if it's like a screen element or something in background, the art department will just write it. So that could have been the oh, art department. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's times, not. It's yeah. just a background thing. Yeah, yeah, like writers and directors, like, you know, they they care about the movie, they care about the plot, but they can't be in every single, like, corner of it. So sometimes oh. they'll be like, oh, we need, like, bios on the characters. And they're like, art PA, I don't know, write this up. And it's like, <laughs> interesting. whatever. That was a sneaky art PA. <laughs> secret, <laughs> secret writer on Aliens is an art PA. <laughs> That one, you you watch the movie, and from the beginning, you're like, oh boy, these are space marines. <laughs> they well, let yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. James Cameron really throws it in your face. They're just walking around going like, jarhead, 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 jarhead. <laughs> It's so fun, and then it's also like it really highlights like how sinister the alien is in the sense it's like you, these people have all the guns and training in the world, and they're no match for yeah. this weird thing. But man, at the end when Sigourney shows up to fight the alien in the big robot suit with the huge clamps, and she's backlit yeah. by this crazy <laughs> stuff, that is the moment when I'm like, when I'm yeah, give me the Ready Player One treatment. I just want to. <laughs> be in that scene i don't care how, how <laughs> dumb it is to just say yeah recreate this exact moment from that movie okay um, don't do it again all right now let me do it again <laughs> paul reiser's performance is definitely a highlight of aliens oh for he's me. such a great yeah. villain he's so good oh, he's so good as a villain it's very subtle mm-hmm. you're just like i don't like you <laughs> But I'm he's not really mad not about such a bad you, guy. He's not such a bad guy. You know, if I had called the whole authorities, you know, I would we would have lost all the special claims rights. So I just, you know, I sent the guy to the aliens. But you know, yet it's you know we're all here. We lost my percentage. Speaking of exoskeleton fighting, should we talk about Tommy Tommy Cruise Cruise in um, <laughs> yeah. Edge of Tomorrow? <laughs> That's a great, it's a really good movie. And I guess it's based off of a Japanese light novel. light novel. Which has a name that they should have just used for the film. All you need is kill. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the three names for this movie, right? Because there was Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat, I think was what it's it was like briefly. The, it's like the poster tagline. That... No, I think it was a title. I think they had a really hard time getting this movie out and marketed. But yeah, so I watched that for the first time and with Christine, my wife, and... She said, you know, Tom Cruise, he always takes me out of the movies because it's like I see the character and it's I know that's Tom Cruise. It's not the guy. But this movie does a great job because it starts out as, yeah, this is a Tom Cruise type of guy, you know, ad exec. But he's clearly just a guy playing some part. And then the movie does a great job of uh, putting him through it. I, you know, I I know it's a good movie, but I do love it for 
Tom Cruise just like eating it and dying <laughs> over and over again is very satisfying. I don't like him that much. I know he's a good actor, but this no, that's a major problem. selling no, point. No, that's like a selling point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the role really plays to all of Tom Cruise's strengths as an actor, I think. But yeah, I don't know how funny the movie is intended to be, but it <laughs> ends up being fairly funny just because it's funny to watch Tom Cruise die over and over. <laughs> yeah. And especially because one of the other Emily Blunt's character is often like she knows what's going on where he gets yeah. resets the day whenever he dies. So it's often like something they decide to do, which just makes it funnier, definitely. And the, she's, correct me if I'm wrong but she i didn't rewatch this because i had watched it a few years ago but she's not a love interest right that i thought i remember watching that and being like oh well that's nice they didn't make I'm, them kiss or anything yeah <laughs> i mean it, like him at all it's great it ends up being a plot point that he's like avoiding doing the thing that they think they need to do to defeat the alien because she keeps dying at a certain point over and over again but no it never never yeah. consummated Mm-hmm. No, Difficult which sc- s- Screamers does for some inexplicable <laughs> reason. <laughs> Uh, you also get Bill Paxton again, looking kind of like later day Jim Carrey and doing yeah. a Kentucky accent in a really creepy way. Yeah, this time he's the sergeant instead of the private. Bill Paxton in that role almost acts like he's an NPC in existence. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the other thing about this movie. It's a perfect video game movie. It's just you're trying the level again and again, trying to beat the boss. Yeah, uh, when I watched it, A couple days ago with uh, some friends, we said, like, most video game adaptations are terrible, but this is, instead of being an adaptation of any particular video game, this is just an adaptation of the concept of video games. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't think this is a an intentional commentary built into the film, but it also, it's kind of a, a reflection of how so many films are just reliving World War II over and over again, because they're basically doing a D-Day landing in France against mm-hmm. the aliens um, in this one because of the, the aliens' weird time blood. They're doing it again and again and again and again and again and again, getting nowhere. Thanks, Jez Butterworth. This, this film was written by the Butterworth brothers, if you didn't notice that they did not register as a name to me <laughs> i thought you were thanking your syrup <laughs> wait is there a real hollywood duo named the butters <laughs> yeah jez and john henry butterworth well they that did it beautiful <laughs> great job yeah uh, one other thing that this Edge of Tomorrow shares with Starship Troopers and Armor and to some extent aliens is that the evil alien is like a hive sort of creature which led me to think why is this always the case in these space marine fictions and it seems like it's sort of the it functions as kind of the shadow of the army itself they're basically none of the both the reader and the characters who are stuck into this like military hierarchy don't want to think of, think of themselves as just like cogs or pawns or worker ants so like the enemy in this in all of these works ends up being kind of the truth of the army that our heroes are in but submerged yeah the, per- the perfect ideal version of a military is this hive mind where there's just one central intelligence zone that can just send out a bunch of cannon fodder. I don't know if this is totally off base, but based on just how much of a fascist Heinlein was, I thought it might have been like a communist metaphor too. Because it's Could, like, it's such a, uh, like a fascist 
thing across genre and it's always a bug colony of aliens with like a hive mind i think also a, a lot of it is at least like verhoven's interpretation i think is this True. whole idea <laughs> of an, when you go to war you just completely don't understand the other side or like yeah. a, like a misunderstanding of the other side to the point where they're so alien that they're like insects and there's no way that you but they're actually just like they're just like i don't know i don't want to say people because they're insects but they're just <laughs> you know they they have a right That's, to live the same way us, <laughs> yeah they're <laughs> us they're just us <laughs> like a common military what? thing across countries though is they're trying to dehumanize the enemy so it's just taking yeah, that yeah. to uh, like a visual metaphor frankly i find the idea of a bug that thinks to be offensive <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they had a nice bow tied commentator on the, in the Starship Starship Troopers movie. Make that comment. Um, Jews in like a lot of anti Semitic uh, literature, especially were were com- were compared to bugs, and they were just like, "There's just so many of them. They're swarming us. They they need to be crushed, just like bugs need to be crushed." So, um, thanks, Heinlein, for. <laughs> <laughs> all the fascism <laughs> yeah <laughs> what is that thanks for all the what's that sign off <laughs> yeah thanks for all the fish yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> thanks uh, for all sign the, off. That one the dolphin <laughs> sign off <laughs> yes it's exactly where my brain was <laughs> why, why can't there be a movie where we're fighting the dolphins is that movie out is that a movie yet uh the, well yes what was dolphins? that movie what was that uh Dale william gibson Do- oh no uh, johnny mnemonic Johnny um, Mnemonic is that was no, we had some not... <laughs> we conscripted some do- some dolphin soldiers. <laughs> well, there's yeah, that's true. there's Day of the Dolphin with a uh, George C. Scott where <laughs> somebody uses dolphins to try to assassinate the president. Oh, well, you've told me about this movie. I got it. I meant to watch it. Uh, which that. That Treehouse of Horror episode uh, with the talking dolphins is a reference to that film. Simpsons nerds, you're all Simpsons nerds. I love Space Marine movies and content, but it's like you have one side of it where you have like all these military dudes who are like, this is hard sci-fi, this is going to be accurate, but then you just have a bunch of nerds who just like want to see fighting in space. So it's like very yeah. interesting genre <laughs> to me. I think I'm a little bit, I'm Space Marine out. They are, they are yeah, not we movies binged. that you can, yeah. <laughs> I watched Screamers today. I really enjoyed it because I like Peter Weller a lot and it's an inter- interesting yet flawed concept. The Philip K. Dick short story looks more interesting than what ended up happening. Although, I don't know, the Philip K. Dick short story is written in 1953 and it's kind of like a Cold War sort of type thing. It's called Second Variety. And then, you know, Dan O'Bannon just loves his working class guys fighting in space. So he turned it into a the company versus the... <laughs> scientist situation although real misstep guys if you're creating this super weapon that can kills everything that has a heartbeat but also builds itself and can learn from its mistakes you're just that's just a recipe for a disaster so just don't you guys don't do that you know yeah <laughs> yeah take that this part off your to-do list when you're building reality your checks with golf <laughs> Oh yeah, I've had a lot of reality checks in the last few episodes where I get really angry at... None of this matters. (laughs) (laughs) 
just took a perfectly good robot and you made it a Skynet. <laughs> yeah, such a bummer. Just really kills the vibe. The thing I do remember from seeing it many years ago was uh, the robot screaming and oh, yeah. uh, having to smoke cigarettes to prevent radiation poisoning. That was pretty cool. What? <laughs> How do you know if it works? You don't die. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Peter Weller is really good. Buckaroo Banzai, RoboCop. He's just very enjoyable. Art historian Peter Weller. Is he? He has oh, a yeah, PhD in art history, yeah, from UCLA. <laughs> you can download his dissertation. One last time, if you just listened to this entire show and thought to yourself, hang on a second, weren't they supposed to play music? Well, now. You're listening to the podcast edit of this show. If you want to listen to the music, go to lastyearfeepod.com. You can find a playlist of all the music that we play and links to the mix cloud and all that good stuff. And um, enjoy. Thanks for being on the show, Scarlett Meyer. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome back anytime. You're you you're curated Scarlet helped curate the past two shows and they were very enjoyable. But next week we are doing media mind control with director and video artist. Yeah, director and video artist Jennifer Juniper Stratford. Um if you guys are into drag queens, Katya in Alaska just had a, a a video that she directed called Come in Brazil. She's got this cool aesthetic. She's really kind of fun and she's uh, curated a bunch of movies for us to watch. Yeah, she's I already watched of- Remote Control and I highly recommend it. Check out our website for links, playlists, all that good stuff, lastrefugepod.com. Send us an email at the last refuge of the incompetent at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail, 805-253-3091. And again, if you enjoyed the the radio serial that you heard before this episode, but not, nothing else that we said, check out <laughs> The Incompanauts on a podcasting platform near you. Duh. What's a good, what's a good military sweet dreams? <laughs> I hope you're able to have sweet dreams and you're not riddled with memories of your ant war. <laughs> yeah. No more night sweats and sweet dreams, incompetiers. At ease, private. Science fiction. <laughs>